0: Today's guest is Bill Rumble from the UK, who started practicing in 1987 and he started teaching in 1992. He is the founder of the Welsh School of Homeopathy, which is in its 27th year and still going strong. Bill is also a fellow of the Society of Homeopaths and Practices in Swansea, while teaching at the Welsh School, the School of Homeopathy in Stroud and the Irish School in Dublin. Bill has also taught internationally in the USA, Kenya, Ghana, Czech Republic, as well as Wales, Scotland, England and Ireland. Ireland, and he recently taught a three-month postgraduate course for Middle Eastern homeopaths. Bill has certainly challenged my thinking in today's episode with some very interesting concepts, and I hope you will find this episode just as fascinating as I did. Enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger.
0: Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we get to speak with the wonderful Bill Rumble from the UK. Welcome, Bill.
2: Hi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's lovely to have you on the show. I don't know if I've told you this before, but one of the homeopaths on my team, Sarah Scott, She actually studied Mm -hmm. with you for two years in the UK and was raving about what an incredible lecturer you are. So you have come with very good (laughs) recommendations, not just from her, but, (laughs) but also some of the other homeopathic colleagues that have been on the show that have mentioned you as well. So it's really fun to have you on. Now, Sarah said that she really loved listening to you talk about integrating different philosophies into your practice like tcm and a whole bunch of other stuff and she said that you would say it's just all tools don't be afraid to pick up a new one does that sound familiar
2: (laughs) oh yeah i don't know anything about it well very little
0: (laughs) well tell us a little bit about philosophy what is it that you enjoy about philosophy homeopathic philosophy other philosophies and how do you recommend we integrate them all
2: well, I studied anthropology at university. So, I mean, I'm particularly ah. interested in traditional African systems of thought and medicine. And the thing that I got from that was that they understand that actually everything operates on a vibrational level. And from going back to Hanneman, I suppose, and going back to the organon again, particularly after Wender Brewster O'Reilly, her edition came out because it's mm. straight from the horse's mouth. I mean, it's pure. What I realized from reading that was that Hanneman understood that everything's about vibration that homeopathy is purely energetic, and that actually disease processes are communication systems. Mm -hmm. I got really kind of turned on by that idea because the way I was trained in a way was that people were things, diseases were things, remedies were things, and that people's psychology was kind of like a thing, and it never really sat very well with me. So I was quite excited to begin to realize that, that people are processes and so are remedies and so are diseases. And the thing about processes is that they're essentially communicative so it was a funny road from sort of west african music and west african masks and symbolism being somehow far more vibrational than consensus reality and actually what i then tuned into is that the idea that remedies are actually they act on a symbolic level as well in other words they yeah. activate Mysterious, they connect to mysterious places that we can never properly understand in the same way that we can't properly understand symbolism. So I've got that was the road I took. And when I finished training, I kind of realised after a few years that I wasn't reading any homeopathy books. So what I always did was I'd pick them up and run with them. So I'd read a paragraph in a book and then mm-hmm. I'd just go away and chop wood or walk the dog or do something else and it would start to just go round and round and round and start to branch out and synthesise and everything else like that. So it was all connecting up to some other thought processes that I didn't know were there. So I've always seen that the, the philosophy has been like a triggering mechanism, you know. So, yeah, that's where I got to. So I didn't realize I hadn't read any homeopathy books, but I went back big time to the Organon and was also quite powerfully influenced by the work of Arnold Mendel, the process-oriented psychotherapy, which they work on the idea that when a person is sick, it's a communication process trying to happen. And Mm -hmm. when you decode Hahnemann, it's exactly the same thing that he's saying you know in aphorism seven he tells us quite clearly that it's through the symptoms alone that the disease demands and points to the medicine for its relief so actually this was a, an astonishing confirmation of what i've noticed already working you, because the vital force is a multi-channel system mm. and a channel will activate according to the interrelation between the therapist and the and the symptom creator, which is the part of the person that's often mysterious to them, and when channels open, I follow. So I'm very excited by the idea of working with whatever happens during the consultation is a communication and telling me what the hell to do, so I can be relaxed.
0: <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, what? Tell me a little bit about that. So, how do you? How? What's your approach to a case study? Do you have a big intake form that you do beforehand, or? Is it more free flow? Tell us a little bit about that. What does that look like?
2: I mean, I ask people, is it a big story? And if they say yes, I'll ask them to email me with an autobiography, a Mm. short autobiography, because actually what I find is that case-taking form is already prescriptive. Mm. In other words, you are telling them what you want to know. I don't Mm. care what I want to know. What I want to know is not interesting. What I want to know is what they want to tell me. It's such a therapeutic thing to do is to write a short autobiography. I've done it. One side of A4. Mm. Soon, they're never about, oh, I was born in 1925, blah, blah, blah. Actually, what you get is you very quickly get a vibrant incident. And if it's vibrant, it's still active. Ah. For example, working with people with trauma, if the trauma is dormant, you, you just don't go there.
1: Mm. It's
2: mm. only if the, sensations and, yeah, yeah. if the sensations and feelings that are still they're still active, then work with the sensation and feelings that the person's getting right now. You don't have to say to them, will you go back over the most painful thing that's ever happened to you, please? Mm. (laughs) So that's kind of the idea of of working with the vibrant information, but we don't decide what the vibrant information is. The vital force has, has two parts. There's the part that is suffering from The disease. Every disease has two parts, sorry. There's the part that's suffering from the disease, there's also the part that's giving it. Mm. And almost exclusively the part that's giving it is a mystery to the patient. It's unknown to them. So the way it communicates is through symptoms and signs. And I'm interested, when something comes up with juice, when something comes up with a bit of energy, I find myself shifting my focus And actually saying to the, it's like, listen, this sounds crazy. It's like I'm communicating with the symptom maker. Mm, mm. And it takes out all the speculative theoretical stuff. We're so big into theory and speculation, but really a lot of the time it's like allopathic medicine. We're prescribing on our idea of what's going on. Mm. That's allopathic. Even though we're using homeopathic remedies, we're actually speculating about what's going on and making it. And I don't want to do that. I feel quite passionately about the fact that this thing's been waiting to communicate mm. for at least a lifetime, at least one, and however many more. And when you're simple-minded enough to go, who's there? It's like a phone's ringing and you say, well, who's there? <laughs> it's like there's a stampede on the other side to give you the information you need. When Hahnemann talks about the unprejudiced observer, I believe he's really saying the empty-headed observer.
1: Mm. Mm.
2: And the empty-headed observer is analogous to the simpleton in the Grimm's fairy story. I like that (laughs) position. I don't want to know what's going on. I want an adventure. I want to discover. Mm.
0: And how do you, I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued in the autobiography that you get people to write because I do have a questionnaire that I get people to write, but only because I want, that healing process to start before they kind of come in. So because some clients will come in and they kind of, I feel like sometimes a lot of time is wasted because they didn't come with an idea of how they want me to help them. So I want to initiate something in them before they come and see me so that when they come to see me that they get the most bang for their buck or we have the most valuable time together. Yeah. So, but I like the idea of an autobiography because then it's initiated from their side. I never, I don't like when we have to ask qualifying questions because I want everything to come from their side so that it's just pure, unadulterated information. Some people, you do need to give that nudge. So when you say to them, write me an autobiography, do they just write whatever they want or do you give them some sort of structure or do you, how do you do that?
2: No, I don't give a structure, but one thing, I like timelines Mm. I really it's like I want to see a map yeah because that actually helps me to position the process Yeah,
0: because
2: you've got to have a container the thing is if you're working with vibrant sensation which is what we're working with you've got to have context you cannot have it's like music organ music is, is the context is buildings with tall ceilings you can't play organ music in a Nightclub, mm. yeah, I'm talking about like church organ. So the context is so valuable. Some kind of timeline really works with me. I mm. like linear and nonlinear. Mm. I like it when time is linear time, but also unpredictable, nonlinear timing. So, yeah, I mean, a, a timeline is great. Mm. I would encourage people to give me a, a timeline of their mm. issues because mm. then I've got something I can refer to as well. Mm. But what's most important is what comes up with energy, what comes up Mm. with vibrancy. That's all we work with. Hahnemann says in aphorism 153, the symptoms that are odd, striking, unusual, and exceptional shall be especially at almost solely, almost all you keep in view when you make a prescription is what's got the juice. Mm. Mm. The rest is just detail.
1: Mm.
2: It can help you differentiate. We're often working with students, so they're very excited to get away from the hodgepodge of so much information. And, of course, computers haven't helped because actually what you can do is you can put in 50 rubrics and it's like giving a a pen to a monkey. Eventually it will write the complete words of Shakespeare. That's an exaggeration, but I like that analogy. (laughs) But you have to just work with what's striking, odd, unusual, exceptional. Mm. And another way of saying that, because Hahnemann really – Understood, I think he was inspired, and I think what he's saying is work with what's vibrant
1: Mm.
2: and energetic now. Now, during the consultation, has there been a change in facial expression? Has there been a voice change? Has there been a sudden animation? Do you notice something going on? You know, Mm. when I was training, some teachers. Gave us the idea that we had to have some kind of a, like a, an invisible boundary where we didn't incorporate our own signals. Mm-hmm. To help Incorporate your signals. Notice something. Oh, that's weird. There's something going on here. Right. I'll shift my focus now. See if I can mm. see if I can catch. It's like working with. You know, if you get a, I don't know if you get badgers in Australia, but we have them here, and they're notoriously shy, incredibly beautiful, incredibly powerful animals. And if you go looking for one, you will never ever see it. <laughs> What you have to do is to make yourself as spacious as possible. Maybe leave your T-shirt in the garden for a couple of weeks, and then they, you might notice them. And the disease process is—it's like an animal. It's like a, making friends with a wild animal. Mm. It, it's
1: <laughs> That's shy, a good analogy.
2: It, it's interested in you. You know,
1: mm.
2: it wants to connect.
1: Mm. The
2: disease wants to connect. It's desperate to connect. Mm. And it can't connect with the person because they've got an identity that's blocking it, some kind of an issue about who they are and could have been blocked for generations. You don't look at, you don't experience that. And we come along and actually what we're doing is we're like, uh, I won't say a conduit, but we're almost like an agent of chaos where we allow this stuff to come into the process safely, like, you know, it's Mm. okay. So with the conduit,
0: yeah, maybe like a mirror, like holding. Yeah, I don't know if it's a mirror, but we're, yeah. yeah, facilitator of sorts, hey. interpreter. Yeah, maybe we're,
2: in, yeah, interpret well actually, uh, we're interceding on behalf of the disease. <laughs>
0: yeah, a disease interpreter.
2: <laughs> you yeah, don't interpret the the thing is that the symptom creator will give you the information you need, and the more puzzled you, the more you don't get it. If you tune in, mm. if you tune into that channel. It'll work to tell you what to do. Mm. It does all the work. It does all mm. the work. The only interpretation we have to do is to find a remedy that mm. the matrix of the medicine is similar enough to the matrix of the disease to the mm. to create. Um, a, a
0: response. Mm. And what sort of symptoms do you look out for when you're in a consultation? I know I always say I'm never happy in a consult unless somebody's cried, preferably the client and not me. <laughs> because I always feel like if they sit there dry face the whole consult, I always feel like I haven't touched what it is that needs to be treated. But when you see just the eyes just tearing up a little bit, it's like, okay, you, you've you touched something that that's probably where the healing needs to happen, but what sort of things do you look out for to know that the disease creator is speaking with you?
2: <laughs> oh, I love this. Uh, I had a student a couple of years, about two years ago, and she was talking about a patient. She said, you know, the thing is I can't get him to open up. Mm. And I said, well, why do you want him to open up? Mm. She said, well, because I need to find out where he's paying. I said, okay, you be him. So you can't see this on the podcast, but basically if you imagine somebody mm-hmm. really stiff and really rigid and really, really not that, uh, she, she did this thing. And I said, well, maybe you need to communicate with somebody who's really stiff and rigid. Do mm-hmm. you see what I mean? Because actually you, it's the stiffness and rigidity that you're going on. I had mm-hmm. a, When I was working in California, I had a patient come in, he had dark glasses on and a great big bushy beard. Mm-hmm. And I said, how can I help you? He said, I've got allergic rhinitis. And I said, well, you know, what can you tell me more about that? He said, yeah, my nose is blocked and sometimes I sneeze. And after a while, I realized that nothing was happening. And then luckily I was able to get out of my analytical head. and noticed that he looked like, I don't know if you get him in Australia, but you can get these tricks mask which is a pair of glasses and a plastic nose and yeah yeah i realized that i was the only thing i was connecting with was his nose Mm. and i thought wow this looks like through i said do you ever get a split stream when you go for a wee in the morning he said yeah doesn't everybody (laughs) so (laughs) do you know what i mean it's like i think it'll show itself in any form it doesn't have to show itself in painful form Mm. It can show itself as an environmental synchronicity, like sudden gust of wind blows the window open and the person goes, I love storms. I mm. had a great time. I was doing a case in school and the patient was, she was a carer, a, a social worker, a single parent, exhausted, so exhausted. She'd never had a remedy before. And just as she was about to start speaking, I noticed there was a flash of lightning outside and there was no thunder. It was an isolated like mm. that. And she told me her story, which was kind of like exhausting Mm. for her. The struggle, the struggle, the struggle. And then I said, how do you feel before a storm? She said, oh, I get terrible headaches. I said, well, what are you noticing now? I've got a headache now. So actually, I was down to about five remedies already. Mm. And then she looked out the window and she went, (laughs) Like that, I said, "What is it?" She said, "Oh my God, it's nothing." I said, "No, what is it?" She said, "There was a guy walked past with a rucksack, and I thought it was a hunchback." <laughs> and actually, we very quickly differentiated phosphorus and silica. gave her silica, it was a magnificent, magnificent prescription for her because it really just lifted her out
1: mm. of
2: her. So, I mean, it'll show itself somehow mm. if you're if you don't have an expectation of how you want it to show mm. itself.
1: I think, mm.
2: you know but it's a great provocative uh provocative question uh eugene I, I really like i really like that one
0: and how did you kind of come to that like is that just from years of experience because i the more and more i practice the more and more i realize i have to surrender if i try to <laughs> try to think that i can ever grasp this weird thing called homeopathy i'm just it's just a It's a losing battle. So I saw, like, I walk to the clinic every day thinking, I know nothing. I'm just going to surrender and just listen to this person and just hope that inspiration comes in and something the universe will or something will speak. I always feel like it's the person's highest self speaking to my highest self. I feel like we're just the puppets in the room. It's actually our higher
2: selves speaking with each
0: other.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or lower self, even.
0: Lower self. Yeah, whichever.
2: (laughs) I mean, we had an experiment in, in our post grad course. Uh, so we run a post course every year. We did an experiment. We tried getting, we got people to take each other's cases on camera and we gave them for like five five to ten minutes each. And the first time we did it, we said, okay, talk about a significant event in your life. And what happened sometimes was that it disappeared down a, a rabbit hole of uh, feeling. Mm. Either resisted feeling or painful feeling or whatever, um, and then we decided the next year we said, "Look, you know that actually didn't work. People came away with an open wound wound that mm. wasn't the problem. But, so we decided, right, this year we're gonna we're gonna create a list of topics, fold them up, and put them into a hat, and you have to pick a topic. Things uh-huh. like putting out the bins, walking the dog, going for a pint. Watching a football match, I don't know, just stuff like that. And it was amazing because actually the cases started to show themselves within a couple of minutes. Stuff started coming up because it had the space to come up. It wasn't preordained that it had to be mm. deep and meaningful, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that was exciting. That was a really exciting experiment for me because,
1: mm.
2: you know, deep and meaningful isn't always deep and meaningful.
1: Mm. That's well, the way I, I look at
0: I also, like, you know, so often our clients will say to us, oh, I don't know if this bit of information is useful. But I often right. say it doesn't actually matter what you say to me in clinic. Like, I'll be able to make something out of it. So you can exactly. talk about a football match or you could talk about having a yeah, pint with your exactly. friends. It doesn't really actually matter what you say. It's oh. you know, the energy that is behind it and the way that you say it and the gestures that you use. And
2: That's right. And actually you unique downtime during consultations. And downtime is actually often really productive, isn't it? You have downtime when you take your eye off the ball, if you don't mind the cricket analogy, but you just see what comes up out of the corner of the field. It gives space to the symptom creator to be uh, creative instead of thinking, do you know what I mean? Instead of directive. So a certain amount of downtime is good. How was your trip here today? Or, hey, what do you think about that? When it goes flat, you can switch off. A bit like fishing. You go fishing. If you stand there looking at the the rod the, <laughs> the rod and the line bobbing yep. up in the water, the fish is going to be sitting there going, no, way, man. There's <laughs> no room for the fish. You have to allow space for the fish, you know. Mm. So it's exciting. It's exciting, playful, effortless, mm. and doesn't involve thinking. Mm. When people say, I think, I think, I'm um, usually – fairly, you you know, accepting of of where it wants to go, but we're not really interested in what people think. Mm. We're interested in primitive, rhythmic, energetic, vibrant energy that is normally marginalised. And, of course, we all have stuff that's normally marginalised. Do you want it to come out of the bushes during a consultation or do you want it to come and bite your ass in the middle of a relationship or... Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm. It's like an opportunity for these things to come out and, and make themselves seen in a way that's not only is it not harmful, but it's also therapeutic.
1: Mm. Mm.
0: Now, if you, actually, have you got any like tips or tricks that you've used over the years to kind of talk more directly with the symptom maker? I know you. Yeah, just
2: yeah, and yeah, you've well said a
0: few it. things already, but is there anything else? Like any any other tips and tricks that you can give to the homeopaths listening to this?
2: Okay, well, you've got to be aware the vital force is a multi-channel information system. Um, there, it is. It, it it's unified, obviously, because the it has a vibrational cohesion. But actually, there's a lot of different channels. There's the ancestral channel. Mm. or maybe more than one ancestor you know you see some people you, the, ans- the ancestral you, you get the feeling that the ancestors are uh, kind of chaotic there's chaotic ancestry
1: mm.
2: there's the channel that uh, there may be another channel which is to do with an organ mm. it may be that if you're working with somebody for example with cancer you're making a multi-channel prescription you know, you've got a constitutional remedy. You've got a remedy to help them with chemotherapy. You've got another remedy to help them with, with the, you know, maybe work on the tumor. You could, do you know, you've got you're making a multi-channel prescription. So it's very exciting to look at this idea of superposition, which is like a number of different channels vibrating. And forming and constituting a whole, like the bow wave of a ship going out of the port, there's a lot of different waves, but there's, they constitute a unity. And what is the secret of the whole damn approach is simply to notice which channel signaling and to say, that's the correct channel. I see sometimes people work, they might say to yourself, I don't want to know about that, I want to know about a sensation. Well, maybe the multi-channel system doesn't want to give you a sensation. Maybe it wants your pen to run out and it wants (laughs) you to get irritated. (laughs) You know, so it's it's like that. And of course it's a lot more fun that way. So you're not trying to make something happen. You're becoming an assistant to nature. What could be better? Mm,
0: mm. Yeah, no amazing. I do run a lot with just whatever happens in the clinic happens in the clinic. And that's why if parents are stifling their kids in the clinic and they're like, no, speak to you, answer her. I always say to them, just leave them, just whatever needs to be, let it be. And uh, very often I've found that if I, you know, I'll tell the client at the end of the consult what remedy I'm giving them. And so often the child will then do exactly the behavior that they're just like, uh, confirming the remedy that I've just prescribed. And, you know, so they will, like, take that toy and throw it across the room, and the parent will be mortified. And I'm like, don't worry about it. Literally, your child is just actually telling me that they're just confirming the remedy that I've just given
2: them. so <laughs> great, isn't it? And that's exactly what I'm saying, because mm. when it knows that you've picked it up, mm. it's free to play. Mm. Uh, my friend Linda had a case. This guy, this little kid came in with his mother, and he was so, I mean, he was so rude to her. Linda was quite taken aback. But then she remembered she was a homeopath and um, <laughs> started to do it with uh, with curiosity. And at one point he got up on her, she had a small chest of drawers in the room and he got up on there and he said, i like a podium.
1: Oh,
0: no. And <laughs> it's on a platter. That?
2: That's so great, isn't it? That's that's like an extreme example, but Mm. yeah, you're right. It happens and it's very, it's lovely.
0: It is lovely. I do feel like sometimes we get handed these gifts on a platter, you know, like the lady who I I couldn't believe that it was actually a couple of years ago. I just started getting into prescribing the butterfly remedies and she had the long (coughs) sleeve shirt on and came for severe allergies and all sorts of, uh, she had asthma and eczema and it was just so much going on there. And I said to her, well, I'm going to prescribe the remedy Blue Morpho Butterfly to you. And she just like, oh, her eyes just went this wide. She pulled up her sleeve and showed me this no blue way. butterfly tattoo on her arm. And I was like, oh, that's just so cool. <laughs> that's
2: it. You've got it. That's yeah.
0: It. Yeah, they're yeah. very cool. Now, I would just want yeah, to ask you, Bill, how Africa? How did you end up there?
2: I went to the homeopathic project in Ghana. Okay. Uh, and, oh, God. It was the year that Croatia knocked England out of the European Championships, but I can't remember what year it was. 2007, I think. I mean, I'd always been attracted to Africa through the music. Um, uh, And then I went to Kenya a couple of years ago to work with Richard Pitt on a project there. Mm. It just seems that Africa understands that the world is about rhythm and vibration. good way of putting it yeah homeopathy is about vibration and rhythm
1: mm.
2: and it's where you see that life so amplified it's it's a real inspiration because mm. you know that you know, i was talking to this guy in ghana and he was a professor of philosophy at the university of Accra, and uh he said oh tell me about homeopathy so i started stumbling around with this. Well, the vital force, you know, it's a bit like that. <laughs> he listened to me really patiently for about 10 minutes. And he looked at me and he fixed me with his eyes and he said, we're sounds. <laughs> and I thought, geez, that's hit the nail on the head because we're operating on a similar vibrational, and we're, a, a similar vibrational field, frequency. Mm. frequency to sound. Yeah. And actually, I started to get excited by the fact that the ear is fully formed at uh, five months gestation. We experience the primarily experience the world through vibration, through sound. Oh,
0: I didn't know that. That's really cool.
2: Because, yeah, yeah. you know, babies in the womb, can hear. they can hear from five months. Mm. And oh. when you look at, for example, Sankaran's work, where he looks at these different levels of a hierarchy of symptoms, he goes, uh, name, facts, emotions... Delusion, sensation, mm-hmm. and then he gets down to one called energy, and I call that presence.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And actually, presence operates on the same in the same vibrational way as sound. So when you meet a person, you immediately to survive. Dogs do it. Mm-hmm. We you immediately tune into their presence. Yeah. And so actually, when we're taking a case, we work from the center out because presence is the, the Hahnemann calls it the Vism, you know, the the, the energetic being. Mm. And we work from there out. You encounter the presence first, and then you start to work all the way out to the name of the remedy. Mm. Do you see? And a lot of time we're taught, start the outside and work, go in. No, start in the middle, work out, connect with the presence of a person. And that's the what that's what I would call the tonal or vibrational level. And um, Africa taught me a lot about that
1: mm.
2: uh, connecting up because when you connect up, things happen. Mm.
0: Speaking of connecting things up, do you know, I always start my podcast asking people, how they were first introduced to homeopathy. And somehow we've just had this wonderful conversation and I still don't know how you were first introduced to homeopathy. You did say you started out studying anthroposophical medicine or anthropology. Sorry.
2: No, I studied Anthrop- social anthropology at university. Social while
0: anthropology.
2: Was, yeah, while I was studying, uh what, what happened when I was about 20, I lived in Southern Ireland and mm. a friend of mine lived in West Wales and I was driving from the ferry going to London and his girlfriend um was staying with him, but she lived in London with her parents. And she said, "Oh my God, can you give me a lift to London?" I said, "Yeah, sure." So I got in the car and drove up to her mum and dad's house, and they had a really grand house on the Regent's Canal. I mean, it was a beautiful place. Mm-hmm. And she said, "I'll oh, come in. You know, we'll uh, we'll have some tea." So I went in and went into the drawing room, mm-hmm. and there was a huge oak glass fronted cabinet. Full of bottles with corks and copper plate script, and uh, I said, "What are those?" <gasps> she said, "Oh, they're homeopathic remedies." My dad's an amateur homeopath; he was also a QC, you know, like a, a high court judge. Ah. Went, oh my god! And
1: I—they hit
2: me with a with a um, the, some kind of a, a wave of something. And then, when I was at university years later, I was about twenty-seven i had a girlfriend who kept on getting pelvic inflammatory problems and they kept on telling me i needed to take antibiotics so after 6 months of taking antibiotics i felt like shit i mean you know this woman she i you know i had penicillin injections oh, my god it was crazy <laughs> uh, i said enough you know cuz i've got a bottle of antibiotics that said um no milk, no sunlight, no alcohol. They went down the toilet. I
1: think.
2: <laughs> I'm not even sick, you know. Um, so I went to see a homeopath a guy called Peter Chappell in London. And Peter was an amazing inspirer. And I just went and sat with him uh, for an hour. And when I came out there, I knew, no mm-hmm. doubt, that the seed that had been planted by those bottles had mm-hmm. found a, uh, it found an, um, a pathway. Mm. And luckily, my social anthropology didn't contradict it in the least. I was looking at magic and witchcraft in (laughs) in, in, uh, 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 African cultures. Uh,
0: (laughs) They should have given uh, you some uh, recognition of prior learning for your (laughs) homeopathic studies.
2: Exactly. So, yeah, I just started training. I qualified in 87 from the School of Homeopathy, which was in Devon then, under Misha Norland.
0: Yeah, so, well, I've Nick, actually just had deja vu because as you were telling this story about giving your friend's girlfriend a ride and going in for a cup of tea, I'm like, I've heard where I heard this story. But then I realized it's your video on the School of Homeopathy's website where you've told that. So know, for a moment care. there, I was like, what's going on? I've heard this. Where did I hear the story? And then I realized it was from there. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So that's so how you it actually started.
0: graduated from there. So you studied with Misha. Yeah, yeah. I
2: graduated. Oh, how in wonderful. Uh, I at the same time, I moved back to Wales, which is where I came from, and I was blessed with the opportunity to go and work in California for six months. I was seeing like twenty patients a day, six days a week, wow. um, and I realized that actually, what was important was the process that goes on during the consultation, because there was no way in a million years I was going to go away and study those cases before I prescribe. Mm. And to this day, or ninety percent of the time, prescribe on the spot. Mm. So it's been necessity has been the mother of invention, and I've I've started to value more and more rapid cognition um, Mm. uh, signals, communication. Mm. um, You know the idea that the 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 disease is demanding Mm. a medicine, not that I have to be smart to Mm. to somehow work it out. You know. I have to say, I'm
0: very grateful. Like my first two, maybe even three years of prescribing, I would easily take five or six hours after taking a case to, you know, go read up on that case, analyze it. And then I went through a period of just like, oh, you, you kind of go around in circles. It can be so hard to prescribe. And then I just thought, I can't do this. And so I also prescribe on the the spot easily 95% of the time. Nobody walks out without a prescription. And I will often, if I'm not 100% sure, I'll at least give them like a bowel nose or a tissue salt or something. But everybody walks out with something out of my clinic. And then I might, if I need to after that, but 90% of the time I'd say I I don't change that prescription because you get to a place where you realize that uh, you could really spend all day on this case and you're not going to be able to help people if you do that but 20 clients in a day that's certainly going to
2: force well, you to prescribe America, on the yeah. spot mm. i don't do that now mm. but um you know uh, it's about paying attention to the signals yeah really rather than thinking you have to be clever yeah
0: and you also founded the welsh school of homeopathy in 1995 right. yeah what yeah. drove you to do that
2: Okay, so there was this guy called Adam Martander, who's dead now, bless his soul, but um, he ran a college in England, and he decided he wanted to start one in Wales, and so he kind of like got about 20 people lined up, got me lined up to teach, and so it turns out actually Linda as well, he got lined up, and then I didn't hear from him, and it was like, you know, I'd, I'd turned down work in London and Dublin and all those other places, and this was in 1990, early 95. So I rang him up, I said, what's going on? He said, oh, i will change my mind. I said, well, that's great, isn't it? You know, <laughs> thanks for letting me know. He said, well, why didn't you do it? And I, I uh, said, yeah, okay. So he sent me all the phone numbers of the people that were interested and that we met up and started the school, which for me was a wonderful way to do it because it meant that we were all in it together. And I've always had that, you know, the, the whole thing's about community. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I would never presume to uh, see a pyramid hierarchy in, in the school. We're all adults. We've all survived till this age. It's a victory just to be alive. Mm-hmm. We're all and people have extraordinary experience. What I'm interested in is how can we make that experience? How can you make that experience valuable and useful in your practice? Mm-hmm. So you know, if you spent a, a couple of years living rough. Um, that's fantastic. Let's—I wonder how that could be useful to you. Mm. You know, well, somebody who's had chronic disease for years. How can that be useful to you now? Always looking, working with what what's there.
1: Mm.
2: And it's been hugely successful, and we've got an amazing community. And you know, I feel blessed to have made so many friends <laughs> over the years. You know. Mm. Yeah. Uh,
0: And it's amazing friendships because it's people that just look at life in a different way. It's just, uh, you know, that like-minded community. Sure, sure.
1: um, Exactly. Exactly. You
2: know, you've got something in common.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, and what do you enjoy about, about teaching? Like, is it, well, I hope you enjoy it because you're still (laughs) still doing it after all these years, but what do you enjoy about that?
2: I like performing. I like showing off in public. I'm (laughs) very shy. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I'm quite shy, really, but yeah, I like, I like performing.
0: Well, it but makes it, really... it makes it more fun learning from somebody who likes performing and who likes to have a little bit of fun, and you know, it, well, it's, yeah. it's more makes it more uh, memorable, yeah. that's for sure.
2: Yeah, I also I've got a streak in me. I like to be it, it, provocative and a bit disruptive as well. So yeah, I can't, it's a place where I can be uh, maybe. A little bit naughty in in the best possible sense, and yeah. No, whatever, yeah, yeah. Mess <laughs> about a bit as well, yeah. but there are certain things that need to be. We need to be clear about in homeopathy as well the importance of rigorous case management, all those mm. things, clinical skills. I'm on it. Mm. I believe in that stuff. It's not random.
1: Mm.
2: Our amazing homeopathic ancestors gave us so much. They gave us their lives. Mm. These guys and women gave their lives Mm. to homeopathy. And there's so much richness available to us from the classics.
0: So much. So much. I do love rereading them. It's really amazing. I think they, I don't know, they could treat so many more different things that we in Australia certainly are not supposedly allowed to treat. And they... Yeah, I guess they were trailblazers. Hey, they just, they left some wonderful work behind for us. And I mean, we've certainly got loads of trailblazers these days as well. Just, you know, so so many of the guests that I've had on the show that are just flying the flag of homeopathy so high and, you know, challenging the status quo of what we believe is possible with homeopathy and just uh, pushing the boundaries so much. It's it's quite. It's I think quite what you're doing
2: with this podcast. I mean, it, I, I think it's really amazing because what you're doing is you're giving you're giving a voice to uh, human beings that are engaged with in homeopathy Instead of just facts and data and s- techniques and systems, you know, this is about people. I really like that
0: oh thanks bill well we also have a facebook group called the homeopathy hangout facebook group (laughs) Uh so i'll have to add you to that if you're on facebook come and join us we've got lots of guests the past guests are on there as well and then the listeners and somebody actually made the loveliest comment on there because ian watson was on the podcast for the second time the other day and somebody asked a question about a show and then i was like well i'll just tag ian in the comment and see what he says and then he replied and the listener was like Wow. Receiving a comment from the guest on the show is like the old school autograph, getting somebody's autograph yeah, is yeah. the same as getting a comment. And somebody said the other day, it's so nice to see you bring the community together. And I do, I feel that that's really important because... Homeopaths are practicing so differently, so many different remedies, uh, so many people begging to have homeopathy in their lives and find out more about it, find a practitioner, Mm. get more access to remedies. And I feel like now is the time for homeopathy to really shine.
2: I think so. But I think as well, you know, connecting people up and discovering that the teacher is a human being. I'm seriously excited. I love the idea that we're all wonky. You know, you know that, you know that. Expression. I don't know if you have that in Australia, but no,
0: wonkyness. I know the word wonky, but we are, yeah, we are all wonky. And I always say that to my clients. They'll almost like apologize if they talk about how they yelled at their kids. And I always say to them, just please never ever think that I'm perfect. I have all my yeah. own issues as well. <laughs> We're all
2: wonky. Yeah, wonkiness <laughs> is next to goblins.
0: Oh, I like that. Yeah, Yeah. we're all and I I mean I sometimes think us homeopaths are the wonkiest of all. I mean, why did we choose to get into this profession in the first place? Because we're just trying to figure out ourselves in this process. Like while we're healing others, we're trying to heal ourselves. So,
2: yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things I've noticed actually is that people who get attracted to homeopathy have always been slightly odd, (laughs) being a bit odd. And and I I like I like odd people.
0: Yeah, makes life a bit more interesting, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of
2: course it does.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, Bill, th- this has been a super fun chat. I'm just wondering, would you like to leave our listeners with any last message? And can you tell them where they can get hold of you and your school and, yeah, where they can find you?
2: Oh, yeah, well, the Welsh School of Homeopathy has got a website, which is called the Welsh School of Homeopathy. We're currently advertising our postgrad training course. Oh, um, amazing or uh, february march april may two days each month which is it's it's been quite successful lately you can include my email address if you want
0: yeah great i'll pop it all in the show notes
2: uh, Mm -hmm. which 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 i think you have anyway and uh, yeah what i'm interested in is connecting so yeah i i'm not advertising I like connecting with people.
0: You should advertise. That's that's what it's all about. Um, we'll we'll pop it all in the I mean, that's what this platform is about. I want my guests to advertise. I want them to tell our listeners what they're offering. And, you know, it's that resonance, it's that frequency. People will listen to it and they will be attracted and drawn to, you know, what they feel vibrates for them on the level that they yeah. need.
2: Well, I work on Zoom as well. I've got patients in other countries. Mm. So if you stick my email address, if anybody who's out there is interested in it from that point of view.
1: Mm,
0: brilliant. And any final messages that you want to leave us with?
2: I like Goethe's poem because he was a contemporary of Hanuman, And he says, you know, whatever you can do or believe you can, begin it. Mm,
0: there's something about this power in start, starting something.
2: Yeah. Whatever you can do, or believe you can, begin it. I'll leave it with that because I cannot remember the rest of the poem. Indeed, so just yeah. do it. Just get it. A, there's a, a, an expression in there martial There we go. Art.
0: Whatever you think you can do, or believe you can do, begin it. Action has magic, grace, and power in it.
1: Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> that, right. was Google, cool. that, <laughs> that was Google, not me. That was Google. No way. No
2: way. There's another poem I love by Rumi called "The Guest House." And uh, I recommend that. He says, you know, this being human is like a guest house every day, a new arrival. And that's a lovely poem because he says, whatever comes is a message from beyond. Mm. Good things, bad things, whatever, whatever comes to you in your life, welcome it, welcome it as Mm. a teacher. I think that's a lovely, uh, lovely way of looking at things.
0: Mm, Certainly uh, makes life a little bit easier if you can see the good and the bad as a teacher. And yeah, as, yeah, as yeah.
2: you know, it's yeah. I mean, something it's,
0: out there trying to get you.
2: It's painful, but, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch, is there? You know, it <laughs> gets hard
1: sometimes. But, yeah.
0: Well, Bill, it's been super fun chatting with you. <laughs> I love your Basically, charisma. I've enjoyed it. And enjoyed um, it. Oh. thank you so much for your time. And, um, yeah, we'll definitely be in, be in touch.
2: Let me know when it comes out or whatever.
0: or do. Have a great day.
2: Really nice to meet you. See you.
0: See you.